0: Uh, But thank you for being here again this morning. And this morning we're going to be talking a little bit still about how to change my mind, how to think more like Christ. And today's focus is going to be on doing right for the right reasons. Uh, It's just so important that we do things for for the Lord and not for ourselves. But (laughs) Uh, Philippians encourages us to have the mind of Christ. So, I wish I had Ronnie. If I could, Ronnie, Ronnie can quote almost the entire Bible. The man just ramble, rattles off verses like nobody I've ever met before. And I just don't have that memory, unfortunately. So, but thankfully, Roger, even though he was a little under the weather still this week, put this together for me. Otherwise, it would just be me up here with a uh, pulpit today, just reading off of my notes, because I can't do stuff out of the top of my head like Pastor Gary. Pastor Gary also has like a, a mind like a steel trap. But today uh, we're going to be talking about doing right for the right reasons. So let's go ahead and roll with it, please, Roger. Starting off with a charitable giving to the poor. It's so important for us to have the mind of Christ when it comes to every facet of our life, and that includes giving, and that includes being generous to the poor, but being generous for the right reasons. And generous doesn't mean bankrupting yourself. I'm not. No one's suggesting you hurt yourself in the process. But it, we're we're talking about When you give, give for the right reasons. Give not because the collection plate is coming around and you're worried about the person around you might think, because I've done that. I'm saying that out of experience. When I I used to just come to church, especially as a younger man, I would always give because I always felt like I would be judged if I didn't put something in the plate. I always felt like, well, they're going to notice me, which isn't the case because people aren't really paying that close of attention. I'm not that important. But... The truth is, I was doing it for the wrong reasons. I was doing it to be seen and to be accepted and not be judged. So Matthew says, take care not to practice your righteousness in the sight of people to be noticed of them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. So they will be praised by people. Truly, I say to you, they will have their reward in full. People that give and then tell everybody what they did lose their reward in heaven. we have I've had conversations with people talking about, you know... Different ideas of salvation and what heaven will be like and why we do good here. If we have grace through salvation, why do we why should we strive? Because if it's not a works based faith, why do we bother doing good more than we're comfortable doing? Scripture talks about crowns being thrown at Christ's feet. There are several crowns named throughout Scripture that we obtain as reward in heaven for living a righteous, not a self-righteous, but a righteous life here, and doing as the Lord commands. And then acknowledging that we wouldn't have any opportunity to do those things the right way, we cast those crowns at Christ's feet. After the tribulation and at the end of all times, Um, uh, we, we do that to honor the Lord. But when you give something and you do something positive and then you tell other people about it for their praise that reward is removed from you you're getting your praise already you're getting the pat on the back the attaboy is already over and done with so you've robbed yourself of that blessing so that's why jesus is saying this and these are all jesus's words uh that's why one of the things i love about this what we're talking about today is it's all jesus so you can't blame me for it you got to talk with the big guy But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your charitable giving will be in secret and your father sees what is done in in secret will, will reward you. Again, God sees everything. He's omnipotent and omnipresent. Omnipotent means he knows everything. Your darkest, vilest secret to the best of you, he knows all of it. And He's omnipresent means He's everywhere at all times. When you're alone, when you're in the midst of many believers, when you're alone in the midst of unbelievers, when you're being persecuted, when you're being loved, at your highest point in your life and the lowest point, God is with you because He's everywhere all of the time. So He knows. He knows when you're giving. He knows when you're, when you're doing something kind for somebody and not seeking man's boy. So be motivated to do right because it's, it is right. Not for the praise of people. Not for the praise of man. Jesus then went on to talk about praying. Now this is still the Sermon on the Mount. He's still talking to a multitude of people. He went through the Beatitudes, and he's, he's talked about several different things. And th- this is just a continuation of last week, and really, because we were in Matthew 5, and now we're talking Matthew 6. And Jesus, he went from money, from giving, from charitable giving to prayer. He said, and when you pray, be not like the hypocrites. He, that word hypocrites again. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so they will be seen by people. He nails the people that are praying on the street corners, but also he's hitting the ones in the synagogues. So I'm assuming there's religious folks out there in the crowd listening to this guy, trying to figure him out, trying to see why this person is so popular, what the crowd is all about. So he's, he's hitting them early on here and he's hitting, hitting us. He's going after us for our prayer life and, and how our prayer life should look. Truly I say unto you that they have their reward in heaven in full. But as for you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In the King James, it says your closet. And the word closet, in my mind, I just get this mental imagery of having to, you know, you're kicking your shoes aside, you're making room, you're cleaning up the the clothes off the floor if you got them there, and you're you're trying to make some prayer time in in a secluded place, a private place. When I did a little bit of research on that word, and I looked up the old Greek word of it, it actually is your inner room. It's the place where you keep your most valued treasures. And that doesn't always mean earthly treasures. This is a spiritual time between you and the Lord. You're going. He wants you to go to a place where you feel most closest to Him because we're supposed to be thankful for our earthly treasures, for our worldly treasures. So when we're among these things, when we're in the safest room where we keep our safest things, we can pray to Him and really dedicate some time. And He goes in, in, in a moment. You'll see. Well, he goes deeper into the idea of prayer, um, but it's just. It's so important for us to be able to set time aside, to have one-on-one time with God in private. So because I know for myself, like when I'm about to pray before a crowd, even this morning, I pray, Lord, give me the right words. And that's not because necessarily I'm honestly not even being super spiritual when I'm praying that prayer. I just don't want to look like an idiot in front of everybody. And, you know, I mean, I I get the sweats and all that stuff before I come up here. And after a while, I feel more comfortable and I'm. Far more comfortable the second service. It takes me a little while to work the bugs out. But it's, it's something, this quiet time that we're setting aside to have with the Lord is the quality time. That time that when you go out with your spouse or you just have that, that, that quiet dinner together alone when the kids are out you know, at friends' homes or whatever's happening and you have those amazing conversations when you remember why you fell in love to begin with. That's what God wants from you. And that's, and that's what that time is for. And when you're praying, do not use thoughtless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He can hear you just fine. The, the idea of saying the same words over and over again, that can be for us. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing necessarily. Just to understand that Jesus said it's not necessary. That we don't have to say the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. It's not like God has a hearing problem and He doesn't pick up on it. It's not like He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. and He doesn't know where you are and He doesn't hear you. He hears you. And he loves you, and he's paying attention to every word you say when you're talking to him. Prayer isn't a magic spell to repeat, be repeated over and over and over again. There's no power in words that are hocus-pocus. I know there was a time, like everyone remembers the Harry Potter phase when the books came out. People were worried that they were teaching their children real witchcraft and things. It's mumbo-jumbo words that have no meaning Unless you give it meaning. It's going down a little bit of a spooky weirdo trail. People, people would like Ouija boards. Parker Brothers makes that. It's a piece of cardboard. They're not, they're not in there making some, some type of evil contraption. We give that, we give that spiritual power to the, the presence of whatever we're dealing with when we deal with those things. Does that make sense? We, can't, we, we can give power with our words, but the words on their own don't, if that makes sense. Hocus pocus won't turn my cup into a pigeon. It just won't. I can stand here up here and say it for hours and for days and it'll never happen. So we have to be careful about not using repetitious language when we're talking to God because it, He can hear us. We don't have to do it. God hears the whisper of a dying man. People on their deathbed have, have, accept Christ. Again, a personal story. Um, when my father was passing, he hadn't talked for probably about, probably about 12 hours. And a pastor from my mom's church came over and talked to him. And he wasn't responding to me anymore. His eyes opened when he heard... His daughter's voice on the phone, whom he hadn't seen in a couple of years, because she lives way out in New Mexico, and uh, but that was it. We weren't getting a whole lot of response from my dad at that point. But um, when the pastor came in, he asked my dad if he believed in Jesus. Now it's a for folks that have have family that's solid, that are plugged in. You've got that faith. You've got that belief. You see, my, my dad was really plugged in for a long time, but he had backslidden. And he had even verbally said he didn't believe anymore. He didn't think there was a God. He didn't think that there was any heaven or hell, that you, we just became worm food. But when that pastor came in and talked to him and, and, and gave him one last shot, my father, who hadn't spoken in hours, opened his eyes, lifted up his head and said, I believe in Jesus. Now, if God hears him and God hears the the whisper of a dying man, he hears you when you're loud and you're clear and you're asking for his help. Help comes in many different forms. There's no guarantee that that poor child Sherry was talking about is going to be healed. There's no guarantee. All the prayers we could pray day and night and God still may say, no, she's coming home. And then it's up to us at that point whether or not we're going to still decide if God is good. We're still going to. Then it's up to us to decide whether He still loves us or not, whether sending His Son to die for us still counts. And those are the hard times. But again, if we if we set it into our heart and pray, and ask God to help us call Him good, He'll help us. But so please, please, when you pray. Don't repeat yourself. Don't burden yourself with thinking that God doesn't hear what you're saying. He hears every word. Jesus then went into the Lord's Prayer. And uh, he taught us how to pray. He gave us a blueprint on prayer. And he told us, when you pray, pray in this way. He's not saying we have to pray this specific prayer over and over again. It's a blueprint. It's a great prayer. But again, he just told us not to repeat ourselves over and over again. If anyone knows this prayer, it's God. So we don't have to pray this specific prayer, but it's a great prayer for us to, to pray and also to learn because it kind of gives us an idea of how we can pray. Because not everyone knows how to pray. I've asked people to pray publicly before and like, oh, I don't know how. And it's not just the fear of public speaking. It's not knowing what to say. And it's crazy. When you think about it, if you have... If you had, like, if you think, I hate to put it such a worldly way, but think of your, your favorite celebrity, your favorite musician. If you had their cell number and they told you, call me any time, you would call them. But so often we don't talk to God. So often we don't take that time to pray. So often we don't put priority into our lives to talk to God and, and to, to vent to him when we're struggling or, or to thank him when we're doing great or to thank him for our struggles because we know good things are coming because of it. So he tells us to start, with, it's a, to start with almost a greeting. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then to make the statement, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But to give us our daily bread and forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Or there were trespasses in other, in other versions of the Bible. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're, we're talking about we're, we're giving God prominence. We're making this statement that God's kingdom here on earth is going to be a thing. And then we're, we're letting God know that we're, we just, we're asking for help with whatever need we might have. We're fortunate here. We don't generally worry about where our next meal is coming from. You know, for the most part, most people here in America are very blessed. I know people do struggle. People do have financial struggles. I'm not saying that doesn't exist, not by any means. We see it often. But we're still the most fortunate people. When I say you don't know have to worry about where your food is, there's usually an option. So that was obviously something would be forefront of these people's minds. There was no publics to run to there was no, no no nothing to just go to so when the prayer part he was talking about help us with our daily bread lord help us help us with our daily needs take care of us and he goes into greater detail about that in a moment too and i talked about this last week for as you forgive other people their offenses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive other people then your father will not forgive your offenses said that last week, and it bears repeating. I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation, but what I'm saying is those burdens will be on your shoulders. If you don't forgive people their offenses towards you or their debts towards you, regardless regardless of its financial, your feelings, whatever it could be, if you don't let that go, you're carrying that around with you forever. It's on your back until you close your eyes and you're before the Lord and made perfect. So he's encouraging you to get that off get get that monkey off your back and forgive others so that God can forgive you for, for feeling that way and you can have that burden lifted. Because it's not enough for us to only seek justice for ourselves when we can show the love of Jesus Christ by showing mercy to others as he has done for us. Doing right for the right reasons. That's our, our message today, and that's the point of today's message. This ties in with the idea of prayer, fasting. What Jesus talked about fasting and doing right with fasting, and doing it for the right reasons. Uh, fasting is not something that a lot of folks do, I don't think. It's not something that I honestly practice often. The, the Bible says, now when you fast, don't make a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they distort their faces, and so they will be noticed by people that are fasting. Can you imagine? Can you picture it, right? You walk around, you're holding your gut. You're looking around like it's going to rain, even though the sun's out. You're shaking a little bit. And it's, you're fine. You're fasting. You're just not eating or you're not drinking for a day or two. Jesus did it for 40 days. He went out in the wilderness. 40 days, 40 nights. And then the devil came along and goes, hey, you can turn that bread. you can turn that rock into bread if you'd like. Talk about temptation. But we're not supposed to walk around. No one should know you're fasting. This is a prayer closet time. You don't brag about it. You don't tell everyone on earth about it. If you need encouragement, need help, you tell maybe a few select inner circle people that you need some encouragement because, man, I'm going to try not to eat for a couple of days and I need your help. Don't bring donuts to the meeting tomorrow. Don't don't send me a recipe, you know, don't send me a text for some recipe, you know, I'll love. I need help. So that's what we, we shouldn't be walking around making it seem like we're suffering so greatly because it takes away from the whole point of doing the fast to begin with. Because truly, I say unto you, they have the reward in full. But as for you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Pull yourself together before you leave the house. If you're Even though you're hungry, wash your face, comb your hair, put on your clothes like you normally would, have a good posture like you normally would, so that fasting will not be noticed by people, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. you see the trend that Jesus is building up here? If it's supposed to be a secret, keep it a secret. Some of us are really bad at keeping secrets, other people's secrets, especially. We can't wait to tell other people other people's secrets. Well, now we have to work on keeping our secret with God, which is pretty tough because we it doesn't feel like we're getting anything down here unless we're telling somebody about it. But what is fasting? Fasting is a practice found all throughout Scripture. A fast in the Bible is usually a voluntary total abstinence from food and for a set time, for a purpose of devoting oneself to seeking God. When you're having a hard time, when you're having a struggle in your life, you're trying to make a connection to something. There's a missing piece. And you're trying to seek God's answer. And regular prayer is not cutting it. Your own mind isn't having any peace with it. That's when a fast is really an amazing thing to do. To take a break from worldly things. To make yourself uncomfortable physically so that spiritually you can attempt to connect with the Lord better. Fasting denies our flesh what it wants, so it can focus more clearly and strengthen our walk with the Lord. But don't do it to be a show-off. That's the total opposite of what fasting is meant to do. True treasure isn't measured in material wealth. Moving on to a different subject now. Jesus kept he went one to another to another. I just can't imagine. People, I don't think, were literate as literate back then. Reading and writing wasn't as common nearly as it is today. I don't know how people kept up with the Lord. He went from one subject to another. And man, this was a one big sitting of time. And it's phenomenal how we, we have his words written down for us all this time later. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where the moth and rust destroys. And where thieves break in and steal, store up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Back to the heart. We talked about righteousness and self-righteousness being a heart issue. The eye is the lamp of the body, so then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for neither he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So, you should sell everything you have and run off to the hills, I guess. No, he, we're talking about the love of money versus the, the necessity of money and the value of money compared to the value of our relationship with the Lord. We, 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 there's 1 Timothy 6.10 says, The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, Some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's a warning. Money is necessary. Jesus often talked about how to, you know, he he talked about the value of good investment. He talked about the value of doing right with things. He said you're better than if you don't work, you're worse than an infidel. We're supposed to work. We're supposed to make money. We're not supposed to go to the beach and sit in a lotus position and just hum all day. We're supposed to work at stuff. And we're supposed to struggle and strive to make ourselves better unless it's getting in the way of our relationship with the Lord. Because money isn't evil. Like that Ouija board. Ouija board is a piece of cardboard. Money is metal and paper. Now plastic. And now digital. So, but the love of it is, if we focus on that and it becomes our top priority in our lives, if we put our families on the back burner to make extra money, it's a problem. Your kids will only be kids for so long. And when, the, I mean, many of you have ever heard the old Cats in the Cradle" song. Pretty, it's, it's been a long time since, that, that, since it's been redone. Or I guess we're due for a remake again. But it's, it's a true story about how things are, how generationally we'll teach our children to love money more than God, not because we want to teach them that, but through our actions, I've been called a workaholic in my, in my own house. I've been called somebody who prioritizes work over anything else. And it's something that I need to work on. For me, and again, I'm not bragging, it's not because I have this like profound love of money. I just have a profound, almost disorder of just needing things to be done a certain way. So I'm always involved because I like things done a certain way and I like to make sure things are done properly. But that's also wrong. Because I can trust others to do a good job. So if you're struggling here today and you're looking at your finances as being the top priority and you're worried about, you, we're going to get into a second here about how this, the anxiety of life doesn't have to be there. Jesus is saying all these things leading up to concerning about you, about your walk with Him, and about your heart. And doing right for the right reasons is the cure for anxiety that you carry. You may not even know you carry. Because you may not be praying right. You may not be giving right. You may not be prioritizing things right. I almost called this, you know, keep your priorities straight. Because in so many ways, I felt like Jesus was telling us, let me take more of this. In first Peter, Peter tells us to cast our problems onto him who loves us. I'm paraphrasing. Excuse me. Ronnie would know it, <laughs> but it's it, we're, we're supposed to be casting our, our, our problems. And when, when the word cast is, it's not gently placing them. Uh, I heard of the analogy. Someone compared it to a garbage man. How a garbage man just comes and just is just chucking stuff into, into the, the back of the truck to get it out of there because they got to move on to the next one. And most of it makes it in there, and the rest of it you save for next time. But it's, it's just something that we're supposed to be throwing on to God because He can take it. And He wants us to be able to give that to Him. Jesus said, For this reason I say unto you, do not be worried about your life as will you eat or what you will drink nor your body as what you will put on it. Life is no more than food and the body more than clothing. The same God who created life in you can be trusted with the details of your life, especially the ones you have no control over to begin with. I have the most irrational fears, and I always talk about my grandkids, and I apologize to those of you that are already rolling your eyes, but I have the most irrational thoughts and nightmares when it comes to my grandkids. Things that more likely than not, God willing, will never happen run through my mind, especially as I'm trying to go to bed, trying to calm my heart, trying to calm my mind so I can sleep well. And I have to take those things and give them to God because I can't fix what's going to happen in maybe 20 years. I can't fix what's happening right now because I'm not there. And even if I was there, chances are I couldn't fix that either. I can't fix much. Jesus said, look at the birds of the sky, that they do not sow, they do not reap, nor do they gra- gather crops in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? Worrying about tomorrow hampers your efforts for today. Pastor Gary did a great series years ago called 24. You should look it up one of these days. It's a great sermon series on focusing on today. Don't don't focus too far down the road because it messes things up for you. But 24 hours is all you got. You're not guaranteed to wake up tomorrow. Honestly, no one's guaranteed to make it out of this room or make it down the block. God forbid, car accidents, heart conditions, things, crazy things happen. We have no guarantee of the next moment, but we waste our moments. We waste our days worrying intently about things that have no we have no control over. And they're so far down the road, they don't make a difference yet. And chances are, they'll never happen to begin with. My daughter, they took a road trip. and my grand, I've, seen, I've seen pictures of my grandkids in the woods. First thought is, oh my goodness, a, a bear. A bear. Why would a bear pop into my mind? They were in Georgia. I know there's bears in Georgia. I've seen them, but... No, they're having a great time. They're they're on their way now. I think they should be in Florida by now. Praise the Lord. They're coming back. But it's like they were having a great time. But me, I'm, I'm wasting that moment of watching these two beautiful children laughing and playing, thinking, oh, my goodness, there's a bear in the wild. Which of you worrying can add a single day to your lifespan? Worrying will do the opposite. It takes time. It takes your life away. It takes enjoying the moment away. And also, it adds stress. And everyone in this room knows what stress does to the body. Puts weight on you. Hurts your heart. Hurts your mind. After a while, hurts relationships. It's not good stuff. So worrying does more harm than, than it does good. Why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies in the field grow. They do not labor, nor do they spin thread for cloth. Yet, as I say to you, that not even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. If anybody ever asks you why why you think Jesus is God, there's not a ton of things, not a ton of people that can look and say 2,000 years definitively with that much authority, this is how Solomon dressed, and it didn't add up to, like, a beautiful lily. So, I mean, it's amazing how you can read things that way and see that God, Jesus is God, and He saw, because He's omnipotent and omnipresent, how Solomon dressed, and it didn't line, it wasn't nearly the splendor of a lily. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, He will not, will He not, much more clothe you, you of little faith, Ouch. That must have stung so much having Jesus look at you and go, You have no faith. It hurts him enough when somebody here does it. But if you if you started to understand who he was and you were in his presence and he said that, I can't imagine. But God does not ignore those who depend on him. Now, I'm not talking about hope to, hope to not offend. I'm not talking about the American gospel here where. Everything is going to be rosy and you're going to have a loaded bank account and a nice car to drive and a roof over your head. Jesus isn't promising any of those things here. He's promising your day-to-day be met. And if it's not met, he's there with you. The lily doesn't get a roof. The lily, nothing, he doesn't stop an animal from coming along and stepping on the lily or eating the lily. But there's a purpose in all of it we have to, again, have faith and trust in him when these things happen. Do not worry, then, saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what are we to wear for clothing? It seems like society hasn't changed much, has it? I mean, all we generally, we go on vacation to eat and then, you know, we pick out clothes for vacation and we live our lives based on what we like to wear and what we like to eat. It's so important to us today and it sounds like it was the same then. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things, for your heavenly Father knows what you need in all of these things. Jesus called out the Gentiles there, but I don't think he wasn't not talking to the Jewish people that were there, too, because if it wasn't important, he wouldn't have said it if the Jewish people weren't struggling with that. So I think it's fair to say that we all struggle with food issues and worrying about clothing and and stuff. We all focus on those things too much. Trust that God is in control and everything happens for a reason. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be provided unto you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry enough about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Living one day at a time keeps us from focusing too far into the future. And it makes us more effective today. It makes us a better husband, wife, father, mother... Friend, if we're focused on what could happen in 20 years or happen even next week, we're not present. We're not focused on whatever struggles our our loved one is facing today. And we're not even noticing it if they're quieter than usual because we're so focused on things that are that are out of our touch or anyway. Living one day at a time keeps us from focusing too far into the future. Doing right for the right reasons. Doing these things and attempting to do them right, they're God-honoring. God loves it when we do right for the right reasons. But at the end of the day, we benefit the most from it. Because God's going to be fine either way. But He loves you and He wants you to be happy. So be motivated to do right because it's right. Not for the praise of people. Talking about giving. Trust that God hears your prayers when you pray. You don't have to repeat over and over and you don't have to pray in front of others just to make a show of it. Show the love of Jesus Christ by showing mercy to others as He's done for us in that Lord's Prayer. Let's forgive people. Let's give people that extra mile that they, that they when they ask for one, let's give them two like He asks us to. Let's love people and be sacrificial because the world's going to wonder why you're different. Again, all this stuff is about being humble and, and, and keeping, keeping it inside, but at the same time, letting your light shine. Light isn't loud. You know, keep being that light on the hill, there's no siren involved in that scripture. It's a light on a hill. Actions speak louder than words. So if we are out there doing right, Living right without walking around with a concordance or a Bible reference dictionary and whacking people in the back of the head with it and telling them they're going to hell. They're going to wonder why you're different. They're going to wonder why you're kind when you when I wouldn't be kind. That person just told them off and they they turned the other cheek because people all know these things. They don't know where it comes from. But they know these things. They've heard of it. It's a part of society enough to where we've all heard of turning the other cheek. People will wonder why we're different. Let's be that light. Let's be that quiet light. Don't be a spiritual show off. That's the opposite of what God wants from you. So again, when you're praying, when you're fasting, when you're trying to do right, and you're trying to grow with the Lord, do it. try it for a while. Um, you should do it, but I know it's, it's hard to just stop ha- old habits, and it's hard to, to just change like the flip of a switch. But make it a point to put these things into practice. Keep things to yourself for a while. All the good things you do. Don't, don't tell your wife, Hope, oh, I emptied out the dishwasher. Don't expect an award for it. Took out the trash. Yay, you. Half of it's yours. We don't have to be praised for these things. So let's, when it comes to us doing right, let's keep our mouths shut for a while. And let's do our best to get, let Him get the glory for it. Money isn't evil, but the love of it is. Worrying causes more harm than good. Don't worry about that bear in your life don't worry about that thing that it's there there's always danger and unfortunately we're all doomed to die someday it'll happen bad things happen most of you can attest to that already you've had terrible things happen in in many of your lives but worrying about it didn't make it stop worrying about it didn't make it go away Worrying about it certainly didn't give you any comfort. All it did was stack some more weight on your shoulders. And maybe even drag you a little bit further away from your love from the Lord of the Lord. So living one day at a time keeps us from focusing too far into the future. Be present. Be in your, your relationships with the Lord and your personal relationships. Be present in today. I can't say that enough. Love people with all your heart. If you're in a relationship and you, and you, know, you know yourself, you know if you're, you're focused on everything else, get back to that moment in your heart when you were dating and you wanted to marry that person more than anything else in the world. If you're not there still, get back there. Make it a focus. Make it a priority. Live in the now. Live in the today. Honor God through your relationships. Honor God through your words and through your actions without seeking the praise of man. Again, thank you. Let's do right for the right reasons. And let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for blessing us, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for taking the time to to spell things out that we all kind of know in our hearts is the right thing, Lord. But without you to tell us and to really emphasize it, we would ignore these things, Lord. We would follow our own pursuits. Help us, Lord, to focus on you. Help us to do right, Lord, for the right reasons. And especially, Lord, we pray that if that person in this room today does not know you, that they have never accepted you as Savior, Lord, that they will do the right thing for the right reason right now, Lord. And that right reason is so that they can be with you in heaven forever. Your blood covers all sin, whether it's the smallest of the sins to the worst of the sins, Lord. There is no sin big enough. And that person in the room right now, that is right. There is nothing you have done can't be covered by the blood of Christ it's supernatural it's God and God I ask you I ask you, Lord to soften someone's heart today that does not know you personally that does not remember that time Lord when they've asked you into their hearts that they can't remember the moment when they accepted you as Savior Lord I ask you to soften their heart and that they would pray with us right now and pray this prayer Father God I'm a sinner I know I've sinned Lord I've I've never been perfect. I've told that white lie. I maybe even stolen, Lord. Maybe even I've killed, Lord. But today I, I, I want to believe with all of my heart that your salvation counts for me. So Lord, I'm asking you into my heart. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you died for me, Lord. I don't know why and I don't know how it all works, but Lord, I I want to believe that if no one else accepted you as Savior, you would have died just for me as you say you would have. So, Lord, today I choose you. I choose you into my heart. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and accept me into heaven when my time on this earth is through. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for your salvation. All of your suffering on Calvary's cross, Lord, let us not put it to waste and make the most of every day. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for loving me, O Lord. We just say this all in your holy name. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. Have an amazing day. Don't forget to invite a friend for next week. Pastor Gary will be back with an awesome sermon series. God bless.